And welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Steve Hackett and Andalusian Hart. It's one of the key tracks from his forthcoming solo album Under a Mediterranean Sky, which is released on the 22nd of January. I have, of course, Steve Hackett here on the Strange Brew and it's a great pleasure to talk to Steve about his solo work and his time in Genesis. So let's hear my chat with Steve. Hi there, is that Steve? Speaking, yes. Hi Jason, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me. That's all right. Pleasure. Great. Obviously, it'd be really good to kick off and talk about your new acoustic album, Under a Mediterranean Sky. Yeah, thank you. What was it about the Mediterranean that sparked off the ideas for the album? Um, Well, I've visited many places around the Mediterranean, uh, both as a touring musician and also as a tourist. And um, I absolutely love what it has to offer from Spain to Italy to Greece to uh, many, many regions. And they've all got their own music they've all got their own kind of folk heritage and they've all got their own stories mythologies and and history uh and of course it's the center of not just the known world for the ancients but it's the center of all those romantic things of course you know rome and and all its subjects back in the day and one of the tracks that's already going down uh, really well is yeah. andalusian heart which yep. I understand that's where you kind of pay tribute or homage to some of the flamenco guitarists. Uh, yeah, there's um, there's a fair amount of flamenco stuff or, or techniques on the uh, on the album. Um, I wanted to do something that was a little bit in the style of Rodrigo uh, Concerto de Arangues. Mm. 
made popular originally by Miles Davis with uh, sketches of Spain. So I was writing something that, in one piece, I wanted to try and encapsulate some of the, the flavor of Rodrigo's pieces. Blind composer, 20th century composer, but typically Spanish with all his classical things. And although he didn't play guitar, um, he wrote mainly for, for guitarists to play. So I've done something that I think is in the style of, and and in a Spanish style. And of course, I spent time in Spain, again, both touring and, and being a tourist. Uh, when I was in Andalusia, I got um, not only to visit the Alhambra Palace, which is an amazing structure, mm. uh, but also the, the Sacramonte, where where the gypsies play in the caves, and um, got to see gypsy dancers and flamenco music and um, I, I started talking to them and one of the guitarists was showing me a really impressive way of strumming the guitar and I took that on board it was good really because um, you know the guy had never heard of Genesis you know that was a world away and so yeah. in many ways you know this music is a world away from from all of that and um, doesn't mean that it isn't any less passionate for me another track shows a different side to you is uh, medina and that that's a, a, a track that's it's grand in scale but also it, it feels sort of yep. personal at times it, it starts off quite dramatically but then goes into into yes. the acoustic guitar well medina is is a city within a city basically valletta is the is the capital of malta um, but within valletta there's another walled city which is medina and um of course from the harbor in valletta you can see the the fortifications which are huge um and um it's because malta was always under siege from the word go you know built by the knights of st john escaping the pope's troops and it's really really heavily fortified and it had been under siege many times over the centuries plus in the second world war the siege of malta was a huge uh, a flashpoint and um some of my wife's um relatives um were involved in in that so um i did a, a kind of in a way the fact that it starts off with the orchestra um it's a kind of a musical siege in a way uh, but then as you say it, it becomes personal once the guitar kicks in and ends romantically and um i mean i i had the idea of war and peace in a way um or you could say war and love. And the sound that you have on this album with the nylon strung guitar, yep. it's so evocative and you can get a lot, so many different feels that are representative with the new album as well. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's a very adaptable instrument for guitarists. It's the nearest thing to the piano. In other words, you know, it can sound very, very percussive and bright or it can sigh or trickle depending on the way you choose to... Um, to play it, it all depends on, on your touch.
previous solo album at the edge of light you you deliberately didn't put any acoustic material on that that's right were you kind of storing tracks up or were you just conscious that actually it had been about a decade since you'd had an acoustic album and it, you, you were likely to sort of turn to that yeah i i thought for the first time doing a rock album with at the edge of light i thought i could include an acoustic piece but I had a feeling that it would change the pace of the album and the idea of stripping it right down was something that worried me. So I thought, well, perhaps I can separate these out and do a whole album of the nylon classical stroke flamenco stuff for people who who warm to that and keep the rock stuff separate for for those who want albums to have pace. And uh, I thought maybe it would make a more accessible rock album. And the other thing would be for lovers of um, perhaps I, I was thinking that it would be gentle music but actually we had quite a lot of dramatic stuff yeah. on it and, and, and the world music and instruments as well so it, I wanted to do an acoustic album with a difference not just straying into or, or, uh, orchestral areas but also um, to make it perhaps more cinematic and exotic hopefully and just touching on at the edge of light that also has got a, a bit of a, a cinematic feel at times a material like underground railroad it does feel that that's kind of got that cinematic film edge too yeah well i read the book underground rail railroad it, it was interesting uh, the story of harriet tubman that it was perhaps loosely based on uh, the idea of slaves uh, escaping and um uh, it was an idea of doing something which used instruments that were pure Americana. The idea of the dobro guitar, harmonica, the two singers on it, the girls, Durga and, and, and Lorelei, to give it a kind of authenticity. Uh, they seemed to warm to the subject matter. So uh, as I was going at that, I, I was thinking of, yes, the cinematic thing or, or films for the ear rather than the eye. I like developing stories it's a way of arranging music in a way that you wouldn't necessarily think of yourself if if there's a story you can act out of character and take on board other regions and the way they might express uh, yeah. themselves i've always loved blues so the, the nearest thing is really blues or even country blues a little bit with that and 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 also an influence of gospel um certainly in the first mm -hmm. half of the song before it starts motoring Thank you. 
I spoke with uh, Anthony Phillips last year, and it was his his admiration for for working uh, with you, and, and your friendship actually came out very strongly. And yes. just a few years ago, you um, you collaborated on uh, In a Perfect World. How did you approach re- recording that track? Well, we were both approached to do something for a project called um, Harmony for Elephants, yeah. uh, organised by Leslie Wood, who is an amazing um, lady photographer who will stand in front of charging rhino in Africa if she thinks she'll get a better shot and um, a better photo. And um, she was very concerned about the plight of the elephants. Uh, we agreed to take part in it. Um, and um, Ant really came up with a piano sequence. And um, he ran with the ball. We ran with the ball separately. Then we came together and, and worked on, on stuff together. And he added guitars after I'd added some guitar. And um, I suggested the title In a Perfect World. But I think he's the one who ran with the ball, first of all. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a, a big fan of his writing, both with Genesis mm. when he was my predecessor. And uh, and also uh, yeah, afterwards, I think that he's come up with very very strong things and some Genesis classics.
In relation to the, the, the live arena, obviously due to the pandemic, the Seconds Out and, and Motor has been postponed until September next year. My reflections on that album was just the, the, the warmth that, that the crowd you know received to the band at the time on, on tracks like The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, that you know, the raw. What are your recollections of, of that period? Because obviously that was the the final time that you had in, yep. in, in Genesis. Uh well, we were playing arenas at that time and yeah. filling them and um um some of the last shows I did with the band were at Earl's Court in London. We were playing to 18,000 people a night and um, over over three nights. So that was, you know, quite a lot of, it was, it was a big crowd. And um, of course that album, everything on it is a selection from a previous album. So it's, it's a kind of a live best of at that time, of course. So 1977, it was a live best of dating back to, to 1971. So you had a bit of um, musical box and, um, uh, from Nursery Crime and uh, Lamar's Down Broadway, the title track from the album of the same name, as well as some things from um, uh, Wind and Wuthering, which was you know the, the current album at the time. So um, my recollections were were that it was um, it was very good. The band were very good. The audience were great. It was, I think, a fitting way to go out on a high from that band. Yeah. I wanted to do solo work and I was restricted from doing that um, in the band. Um, it was a deal breaker for them if I if I did solo work and I I thought I can't afford to have stillborn brain children. You know, I, I need an outlet for my songwriting and um, in Genesis founder members did tend to hold sway with that. So, you know, the keys to the songwriting cabinet could often be very closely guarded and so um, I was starting to develop as a writer. And of course, we had in London, um, our support act was the, the late, great Richie Havens. And I I hit it off with him when, when we met and um, we we said we, we were going to work with each other. And um, I knew that that was going to have to be outside the confines of the band. So it was with the heavy heart that I resigned my commission from that band uh, because I did Love the work that we did together, but the experience was becoming too negative for me. Um, I had to be able to spread my wings. I had to be able to work with other people. Of course, the band was in danger of hemorrhaging band members. So, you know, Pete, mm. Pete left, I left. And of course, then they all started to do solo projects almost immediately. So it was a case of don't do as I, as I say, or do I mean, don't do as I say. <laughs> uh, yeah, the very thing that I'd been pilloried for um, was the very thing that they started to do. So I think once they had control, I Tony and Mike decided that um, that's what they were going to do anyway. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, that, that both Pete and I had to make a certain sacrifice in order to branch out on our, on our own, but neither of us really wanted to be controlled by others I mean either you've got the music in you and it's got to come out or or you tow the line at some peril I think you know um, it all depends on your idea of success is success all about selling billions of albums or is success about g- having great ideas that fire up other people right. and I'd pitch my tent in the latter camp 
I hear you live today and over the last few decades you you continue to evolve and and put a little twist even on original genesis tracks you know when i hear your version of more fool me for example you, you kind of build on it a bit yes we do yeah yeah well it was a, a sort of underscored track in the day you know it does sound a bit like a demo um and i think um to give it something like the full treatment. I mean, we haven't quite given it the LSO, but mm. the idea of why don't we have a few guitars on this? You know, why don't we give it perhaps the Genesis treatment that was afforded other other tracks? So, yes, I enjoyed that. You know, a couple of 12 strings and a harpsichord and some strings, um, a minimum of vocal harmonies. But I think that... Um, the band did a really lovely version of that. And I think that um, uh, Nad Sylvan sang it really well. He yeah. really liked the track. And so this band of mine made it made it their own. And it's, it's a lovely track. I think that it's a, a very moving track that was a kind of a bit of a Cinderella treatment when it was um, on Selling England um, on the original album.
spoke to Tony Banks and the way that you collaborated with him sometimes on, on tracks like Fur for Fifth where yep. with the guitar solo but I understand that that was his melody yes uh, that's his melody and my variation on it um, and um, I think it's a, a great melody and, and it was perfect for guitar and um, I think originally it was going to be played on solo piano and then we started to colour it and suggest things and um, I think it's one of his best Yeah. and the vocal melody I think is one of the best too um, and it all depends on how, how soulful the uh, the singer is who sings it um, and I've recorded it a few times as a version with John Wetton that we did Yeah. and um, yeah I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's a terrific tune and it, it has managed to withstand several different arrangements over over time
The theme over the last 50 years for you is, is continuing to bring in other influences and other instruments and, and you had a role in bringing in the Mellotron. I can hear that on Foxtrot on Watchers of the Skies, for example, so you're, yeah. you're bringing in ideas. Yeah, I was keen on expanding the keyboard arsenal, basically. Um, I thought that a Mellotron might work wonders for the band and a synth. Um, although these are Jurassic words now, it transformed the way the band was able to present music because um, we could sound like an orchestra, um, we could sound like a choir, thanks to the auspices of, of the Mellotron. It was um, an early form of sampler, of course, and um, yeah. but even now, there are times when if you want a certain kind of sound, you'll find yourself reaching for either the Mellotron or samples mm. from the Mellotron. Uh, there's nothing quite like it for a kind of alienated hmm. orchestra. It's something otherworldly about it, something unreal, yeah. but somehow it's got that touch of magic um, about it. I mean, of course, orchestras are wonderful in themselves. The real thing is it's fantastic, but um, um, it certainly mixes very well with, with rocket instruments. And we bought our first one off of Robert Fripp, who was oh. selling them. At the time, they, they had um, rather more than they needed, it seemed. Um, and um, so, uh, yeah, it took four men to lift the original <laughs> Mellotron, um, one on each corner. And then, uh, yeah, it... It was a very strange beast, and it, it didn't always work, and condensation on the tapes would screw that up, and unless you had a stabilizer with it, it would end up in a different key at the end of the song. As we found out to our cost when we first started rehearsing with one, you know, it never made it through to the end of the, end of the tune in the same key, so uh, that, that created some interesting, uh, yeah, interesting bits of random uh, info.
to close, for many people, out of all your work, including Genesis, many people's favourite is Spectral Mornings with, with tracks like Every Day. Do you feel that that was the first album which really sort of set the tone for your solo work? Yeah, I think something special happened on that album. I think the fact that I had my own touring band for the first time at that point meant that suddenly, you know, there wasn't a character like Peter Gabriel who could stand there in bat wings or hang upside down singing. It had to be, for my money, uh, the emphasis had to be on the music again and um and the idea of having a vocal sound on that album was something it was born out out of the um it was born out of the team yeah. the harmony vocal sound from Pete Hicks and Dick Cadbury who arranged Dick arranged the vocal harmonies and the three of us would sing to create that sound and um that combination of characters had a recognizable um had a had a recognizable harmony sound suddenly um all the harmony bands that I'd ever loved I felt that yeah we were we were in a way we were in in a kind of um suddenly we'd become a harmony team so there's an instrumentalist leading the band i.e. me but at the same time got this other stuff and uh, we had an incredible keyboard player in Nick Magnus uh, I was getting to work with my brother full time um, using lots of flute his bass pedal playing and he was playing guitar with me as well so the band were uh, were really hot to, to trot and um I've got many happy memories from that from that early band lineup. When, and I think the fact that we were having so much fun um, on the road and recording uh, shows on on uh, on special mornings, you can see that, that everyone's having a ball on it. I think, or you can hear it anyway. Well, Steve, it's been brilliant to talk to you, and I wish you all the best with the release of yep. Under a Mediterranean Sky. Thank you. Is the sort of future sort of plans just to get ready for the the seconds out tour? Uh, yeah, basically, um, uh, to get ready for that. And um, as soon as we can, we'll, we'll be touring that. Um, basically, once the world is open for business, we'll be open for business as well. And um, it'll be, you know, out of the starting gates, let me at it. I think probably it's going to be an incredible vibe by the time we get everyone out there and everyone's safe. And yeah. um, it'll be, I think it'll be about more than just just the music i think yeah. just the very fact that we can all mm. be together and um i've got a feeling it's going to be very emotional um i certainly look forward to it tremendously um i know the band are um so um I look forward to it thanks so much steve thank you jason been great talking to you all the best cheers bye-bye
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.